Ringer Films and HBO's third installment of the Music Box series is listening to Kenny G. The film takes a humorous but incisive look at the saxophonist Kenny G, the best-selling instrumental artist of all time and quite possibly one of the most famous living musicians. Listening to Kenny G unravels the allure of the man who played jazz so smoothly that a whole new genre formed around him and questions fundamental assumptions about art and excellence in the process. You can find Listening to Kenny G on HBO or HBO Max on Thursday, December 2nd. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he may not love me, but he does love me. It's Andy Greenwald! Is Succession the most popular sad art ever? Has anything this sad ever been this popular other than Taylor Swift's 10-minute version of All Too Well? Uh, I mean... I guess, do, do you watch like This Is Us? <laughs> That's pretty sad. That's true. That's yeah. true. I guess I wrote a book about emo. I just, this is like high art sad in a devastating, devastating well, way. Well, it's it's also, uh, it's heartbreak and tragedy wrought out of comedy, which is what I think it makes it such an intoxicating kind of uh, a, a chemistry for the show. Andy, I hope that... Um, I hope you're doing well. It's uh, Sunday evening. A little bit of behind the scenes here. So Andy and I record our podcast on, well, when we can. So Friday. Uh, this episode will go up Sunday after the penultimate episode, uh, Chianti Shire, goes up. Um, we do not see the uh, scenes from next week. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about, obviously, is going to be speculation about the biggest moment in the show's history, possibly. Um, but we don't really, you know, it, it may very well be that we could be proven wrong by these scenes from next week. I don't think that we will personally, but we can get right into it. Andy, can I offer you a beer by the pool? Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Chris, because I may have had one too many Peronis while watching the episode and drifted off because I'm very, very comfortable uh, in my free time. Yeah, right. Uh, Roman and Jerry still going strong. Kendall's just chilling. Yeah, everything's going great. Why? Andy, did, did uh, I miss something? Yeah, did we just watch Kendall Roy die? Okay, so let's 
and I appreciate the caveat you put at the beginning. Um, we don't know. And it's, let's pause for a second to say how great. It's fucking great that we don't know. TV isn't sports. This is dramatic. And what we have, and I'm glad we don't have the scenes for the next, we have like like a bunch of pipe-smoking new critics at the turn of the 20th century. All we have is this text. And so I look forward to talking about the episode in and of itself Mm -hmm. and what the final sequence means in terms of what we had previously watched. That said, Succession doesn't do jump scares or cliffhangers, really. As you talked about, I think, last week, there are some of its best episodes were structured within a season more like Mad Men's episodes, where it's like, oh, a month passed or six weeks passed. They yeah. weren't necessarily bang, bang, bang. Although the season two into season three broke that a little bit, and now we have, I would assume, uh, I, I don't think the PJs have taken off from Keonti Shire at the beginning of episode 10. I'll put it that way. Yeah. That said, when I watched the screener, as I did, uh, solo floating in my in my sad country pool, uh, I was moved by the ending because of its sort of, let's use the word again, just this existential despair. Mm-hmm. I did not think he was dying. I think that he is in a dangerous position because he has been rendered, a, as my as my good friend and cinematographer on Briarpatch, Zach Galler, said at the end of the four-month shoot, a pile of tin cans and dust uh, emotionally and reached his what he thought was his bottom only to be told, you're not actually allowed to have a bottom. Right. He, he breathing face down into a pool not really a sign that you're in a good place, but I did not flip flip out and think okay. that was it in terms of watching the story. Then, you know, we started talking. You've talked to a bunch of other people who've seen screeners. A bunch of people have screeners have, uh, have, have let loose the tweet hawks about big things happening. My sense is that if one was watching this with someone else, as many of our listeners probably were, that was a question that suddenly became more than a passing passing theory. And we don't know about the next episode. We don't know about Jeremy Strong's contractual status on mm-hmm. the show. What I'll say is I love the fact that at this moment for us Friday, for you guys Sunday afternoon, it's in play. What I mean, it, it, that's a sign of a well-crafted dramatic story that it's in play, right? Yeah. Like we actually, I was, when we first spoke about this, I was like, there is no way. There's no way. That's not what this show is. There is more to be done, and we're going to get into it in terms of where this the, the Logan-Kendall relationship ended up. However, picks at me, picks at me, picks at me. Maybe. Maybe this show is, it's proven to be bold. Jesse yeah. Armstrong's a bold storyteller. Maybe. Maybe. I think that it's supposed to end ambiguously, so we can spend as much or as little time as we want on the whether or not he's passed away. I'll make the case for it. I'll make the case okay. why I think yeah, he's dead. That conversation with Logan that he has um, over dinner is a final conversation. There have been all sorts of different kinds of confrontations that he has had with his father, whether they've been uh, aggressive and him trying to usurp him or him trying to beg for forgiveness or him basically acting like a hollowed out husk of a, a person as he follows him around to give him his medications. They've had all sorts of conversations. That one felt like the last one. That one felt like, and even um, I even noted that Kendall mentions, you know, I'll be broken when you die. You know, so the idea, the specter of, you know, 
this one of them passing away is already introduced, even though it's not the person that we're thinking of. I think we all watch this show and there's this expectation that at some point Logan is going to pass away and there's going to be this Viper fight for taking over. And essentially that's what this show is while Logan is still there. But this felt like a very final conversation. I even also noted that Logan refers to Kendall several times in the conversation in the past tense. Yes. You, you were my son. Now you could say, oh, he's just saying because he's dead to him. But let me ask you this. Where else is there for Kendall to go? What, what else is there for this character to do, even in this episode for as like sort yeah. of, you know, he kind of just shows up and he's like, like at the Greg Tom level of relevance when he's just like, oh, the Gojo tweet. You guys are fucking it up again. Nut, nut. It's like, are, is that what Jeremy Strong and is going to do on this show? Is be like the sixth guy in a in a party scene and be like, what's going on with the company, huh? Like, he's not. I, I think that they've kind of really perfectly brought this character to an end point. And I do feel like, in some ways, like Kendall Roy accidentally slash maybe on purpose mm-hmm. drowning to death in a mm-hmm. Tuscan pool is a perfect way for Kendall Roy to die. It is a point well made and well argued. And dramatically, I agree. And I'll circle back to the fact that it is a sign of how well constructed this tapestry is that that works. That works. It makes sense. This does not feel like a cheap fake out regardless of what happens because we're having this conversation on the merits and it's reasonable, both from a audience perspective and from a dramatic storytelling perspective. Absolutely. To your point about what else does he have to do, it's a very good question that I think goes back to, in some ways, the original sin of this season, or maybe just the original parlay, if we're going to use a gambling metaphor that I am in no way capable of doing because I don't understand gambling. What I mean to say is, what Jesse Armstrong did going from season two into season three was absolutely the right thing to do story-wise. Like we've said this before in many, many different contexts that the best showrunners are not afraid of telling the best story. They empty the notebook. The story. Yeah, they, yeah, they don't pace things out, right? In retrospect, you know, the season is already almost over. By doing what he did in season two, um, at the end of season two with Kendall's betrayal, and then the season almost entirely being the concentric rings of ripple effect afterwards, Jesse Armstrong pushed all of his chips into this show, Succession, being a one-story show. There were feints in other directions because we love hanging out with these lunatics and, you know, there's satellites blowing up and there's always something to say about this, the mega-rich or, the, or, or capitalism. This show could be high-class billions. I mean, we've said that before. It has no intention of being so. And in a way, I think what the story that, that Jesse crafted was almost a poison pill to a network that might have wanted eight seasons because mm-hmm. it's just not possible. He just he just pushed it all into the table. And so what else is it going to be? So with the spirit of that, there is a world in which maybe what we find out is there's only one season left. I don't think there's going to be more than two seasons left. And if you consider it that way, and really the drama of the show at its core is... Uh, Logan is the bell and Kendall is the hammer that rings the bell, right? And that's the relationship that powers everything. And it has taken three very, very, very dramatic swings. 
I could believe that there's one last thing to be done. And one of the reasons I think that, and I don't know what it is, and also fucking dying would be one last thing to do. <laughs> right. Because one of the more brilliant things about this episode, which was unequivocally a brilliant episode, we are Yeah, I can't lucky. wait to talk more about like the other parts of it. Yeah, for sure. We, just on any number of levels, but on a, look, Chris, look, writer to writer, blogger to blogger here. We are lucky to be alive when a writer like Jesse Armstrong is writing scripts like this for a mass market television show. You know, mm -hmm. this was an episode that talked about itself while it played itself. Like all of the material was here to understand who these characters are in a deeper way. And what um, Kendall's, what's Kendall, what's the mom's name? I, they always refer to her in disparaging terms. Caroline? So I forget her name. Caroline, thank you. Yeah. What she says about Logan's approach to parenting and about her own desires and things, and we'll talk about the Shiv scene later, what she says about how she wished she had uh, dogs and what Logan would have done to the dogs, basically, right? Like he only, he wants to kick things and see if they'll come back. Like, right, that's, that's sort of right. foundationally his belief about that's what love is. That's what family is. So that's how you treat people close to you. It's constantly a stress test and often violent and horrifying ways. And that's why, you know, he was weirdly vulnerable in that last last supper because he was a petulant, emotional baby. No, I won't give you the thing you want because that keeps us bound together. And like, you know, one thing that I, I could say- one so that's, a very interesting, that's a very interesting read on that scene. I read it differently. Well, so- one thing that I, I was going to say one could learn in therapy or I could just say I did is that, um, and this is like 101. This is not some great fucking insight. From, the, the royal one. And, and by the way, I was going to say like some insight from Mount Sinai, like literally Mount Sinai Medical Hospital in Manhattan, New York, is that love and hate are in some ways the same because mm -hmm. they keep you bound to someone. And the most powerful thing you can do is in the words of the great uh, New York psychiatrist Gordon Sumner, a.k.a. Sting, is set them free. Logan was revealing his weakness here in a way, in a cruel, vindictive, annihilating way, which was just like, I cannot let you go. I, and I will not let you go because that would dissolve the bond between us. This hate bond is as powerful as the love bond. Anyway, all, all of this was to say, the end of this version of Kendall at the end of this episode does signify the last evolution of what that relationship could be, which is, You've kicked me so hard I won't come back. Now, right. does that mean he won't come back from the hereafter? Or does it mean he won't come back and will actually drive everyone even crazier by not fucking caring anymore? I don't know what that looks like. There's just, if you look at the entire season and where his character has been going, the incremental stripping of his friends and family to the extent mm -hmm. that I think those things were real for him, whether it's Stewie, whether it's his sister, whether it's his brother, his ex you know, Naomi not in Tuscany, you know, and they had yep. that kind of awkward end to his birthday that seemed to end in a much more of like a a sweet moment. And it almost looks like a Pieta scene, you know, with him lying in her lap now when you go back to think about it. Mm -hmm. And then he shows up in Italy with his head shaved, almost like he's preparing his body. You know what I mean? Like it's like preparing yeah, the body for surgery. And he's ostracized... Yeah, for the next life. And he's ostracized from his family. He's ostracized from his mother. His, the first thing his mother says is, 
choosing her, her vicious ex-husband over him and saying, can you make yourself scarce at family gatherings? Exactly, right. And he obviously has next to no relationship to his kids, Sophie and Iverson. It's just amazing shit to hear Brian Cox in that accent go, I have a son! <laughs> I mean, listen... I, our listeners really are very chillingly like my father watching Helen Iverson I, in the early I like 2000s. watching the 01 playoffs. Yeah. I, I know our listeners are web savvy. Could someone just make, please, please, if you haven't already, maybe this is already flooding the internet on Sunday night. Yeah, we got to bring ringtones back so that we can use that. But, but also, can someone just please lay Cox's audio over the video of Alan stepping over Tyron Liu in game one of the 01 finals? Because yeah, that's that would really be, all I need in my life. That would be great. But yeah, so I feel like he. If you look at it from that perspective, and then in the conversation with Logan, I think Kendall says something like, I don't really know where my life goes from here. And it's sort of a poker game. They're sitting there at the table. Kendall makes the, he basically says, give me what you offered me a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Logan was like, that was for fun. That was to fuck with you. Mm -hmm. Kendall is now still attached to his father. His dad's like, you can go work in the mailroom because I want to keep you close. And then what happens is Kendall is like, you know, he gets into the prestige TV conversation to some extent of you're a bad man. I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. And he keeps hitting that over and over again. He's like, I love you, but you're evil. You're, you know, you're corrupt man in a corrupt world, all these things. And that just kind of like trips a wire. And Logan's like, you're a murderer, you know, and that is. Ultimately, like he had had that first note from Comfrey where she's like, there's going to be this podcast about yes. a guy at the party who died. And then Logan says it. And I think Kendall just feels the walls kind of closing in. I think he's just I, like, I this want- is, I'm never not going to be a murderer. I'm never not going to be yeah. this guy's son. I'm never going to rise again in this family. In fact, I'm yeah. probably just going to get more and more ostracized. And I don't necessarily know that that was a conscious decision in the pool or it is a conscious decision in the pool, but I think it's not not conscious. And sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes you just let the wheel go a little bit. I I agree with all that. I think that um, I do want to note one with pleasure that I we are we are entering a kind of meta or like post prestige TV universe where the best writers and showrunners are actively I don't want to say trolling us actively playing with what they know to be our codified expectations of how dramatic television works in this century. The one big example, and I won't spoil the show for people who didn't watch it, but was the way Mike White had so much fun in the season of The White Lotus, knowing that there was a death. That's not spoiling anything because the show begins with a coffin. It's a fun show. You guys should watch it. But that later, when that death, the victim had yet to be revealed, he would have a character just go into a coughing fit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, which was yeah. both commenting on our expectations and servicing them in a kind of, you know, you, you know that the person in the horror movie shouldn't go down into the basement, but you you, you get all hyped up anyway. I assume I, I am as familiar with gam- horror movies as I am with gambling. But I, I bring this up because I wonder if, if Jesse Armstrong is doing something slightly similar with the, the body in the lake from season one. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the vultures are circling. This story has been, its presence has thrummed like a backbeat throughout the season. Yeah, the, the Logan security guard kind of mm-hmm. reappearing as like the ghost of Christmas past here. Yeah. But also I think, this is this is might be getting a little too heady, but I think Jesse Armstrong knows what we know about him. So it's like four-dimensional chess where I don't think Succession is a show that blows that up. You know what I mean? The, 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 that 
Chekhov's tabloid dead body story isn't likely to play out in the way it would in a lesser show. I agree maybe with you. it is the thing that pushes him to one too many Peronis, or maybe it's just a shadow reminder constantly of the bill coming due. I don't, but that said, maybe, maybe that has to happen. Maybe Kendall's death is to come clean. And because that story implicates his father as much as it implicates him, they are bound together again in that. And I feel like Logan bringing that up in the scene and bringing it up as he has brought it up throughout the season, even planting that security guard is another performance of, I hold the leash, I pull Mm -hmm. it. But the leash is held. Well, then what's the last act of rebellion that Kendall has? Well, that's the that's the place it's, where I think your dying. argument has. Well, I think that's the place where your argument has the most merits because one thing the show surprises us in many ways, but structurally, it, you know, it's people saying shitty things to each other in rooms, and I don't know. I don't think that season four is going to be about like where's Kendall. He's gone like full McAfee and is just living on an island somewhere. Like I, no. I, I, dropping out of society doesn't make sense. Um, how, how annoyed should I be if episode nine is Kendall f- fully fine and he's like, guess who the new CEO of Gojo is? Like, we're back at it again. That would be odd. I that would think, be a really odd note for this show. I, I think that in the spirit of like anyone listening to this podcast is fine peeking behind the curtain a little bit. It's probably worth noting that we've been told that we will get the finale early so we can have this podcast ready for you when the finale airs, but we're getting it the day of. We're getting it on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. That suggests that whether the expectations from the end of this episode are significant or whatever happens are significant, that they want to keep as tight a lid on it as possible. Mm -hmm. I think it's also worth saying, while we're on this side of the curtain, there's a lot of kind of exciting uh, uncertainty there too because on the one hand, Jeremy Strong is an Emmy award-winning performer who is universally regarded as giving one of the best performances in recent TV history. And he's an integral part of this cast. And yeah. people in those positions don't I think leave Kendall's the like a Pantheon character and it's a Pantheon performance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for people named, not Dave, named David Caruso, this just doesn't happen. That was a very, very different situation in a very different era. But it's a very different situation. It's mm-hmm. a very different era. Jeremy Strong is probably by his own admission, not that he does much press, um, very method, very particular, very prickly. In all of the stories about the show, everyone's like, yeah, we just improv and play slapdick around a table somewhere in Eastern Europe, but Jeremy's in his trailer preparing. Right. You know, and, and he brings that energy. That's what makes the show amazing. And I didn't mean to imply that that means they don't like him or they're not all friends. It's just a very different thing. So if someone was going to say that they were leaving the show or be excited to be told that this was a three-season tour de force, it strikes me that it might be Jeremy Strong. So it's in play on that side of the ball, too, even though I still do not believe it. It's in play. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Jeremy Strong is in going to be in the new James Gray movie. He's he's one of the co-stars of Bradley Cooper's next film about Leonard Bernstein. Like, it, it, he's he's working. Uh, he's not. He, it's not like he's like, oh, I wanted to go reboot Ace Ventura so I need to get out of my succession contract like he's doing really interesting work out there I don't know man I mean I guess we can sort of start weaving our way back through the episode itself I wanted to maybe do that by saying one of the things about the three Roy well I know it's the four but and and I guess this does apply to Connor as well well, the, the thing about the f- are not loving that omission. They're not the loving it. For Roy kids is um, the varying levels of self-delusion. And mm-hmm. 
I think that the more successful ones in this season, Shiv and Roman, have been the ones that have kind of, um, over the course of the season, put away delusions, you know, put away delusions about who they are and really f- like laser focused in on what, what it is they think that they are good at. It's obvious when Shiv gets to the Jerry scene, which is, I, let me just say up front, this, this whole episode felt different. You know, it's written by Jesse Armstrong. It's directed by Mark Milo, who does a lot of the bigger, I think is very instrumental in the visual language of the show. He's the producing director. He's there for all of it. And it is, the settings are almost unbearably beautiful and the scenes are almost unbearably sad or uncomfortable or, you know, just absolutely cringeworthy, like moments of drama. And they go on, a little longer than usual, you know, yes. like they have, like there is a, a way succession can be that feels very rat-a-tat and the camera's zipping around and they're having a board meeting or they're having like a pre-board meeting and everybody gets their joke off and then the scene just kind of ends or, you know what I mean? And you're just like, that was mm-hmm. just, that was great. And, you know, keep it moving. And then there's this where it's these long shots or these long scenes of you know Tom and Shiv talking, or Logan and Kendall talking, or Roman and Lucas talking <laughs> on Lake Geneva, and you just are like, oh wow, this we are really plumbing the depths of the characters that we're with, and like how uncomfortable they can be, or how self-serving they can be. And I thought about that in the the Shiv and Jerry scene, which is the second time Shiv's done something like that, where we're two episodes removed from her being like, this will not stand. We can't have. <laughs> We can't have the rise of, be behind the rise of evil in this country. And now, as soon as she gets some daylight, she's destroying Jerry and, and, and you know, in the shadow of, of everything we've been talking about for the last half decade or whatever in, in the Me Too movement. And, and it's, it's just, it's really chilling. And it's Shiv kind of doing away with her self-delusions about who she is. She, in fact, is not the person who's like, let's get a centrist in and maybe even flip blue. She is a cold, calculating, self-serving person. Kendall's position is, is one of delusion. He's like, I'm a good guy. You know, I thought I was a knight. Maybe I'm not, but I do think I'm a good person. And maybe that's his literally fatal, fatal flaw. I don't know. I mean, we can go in a bunch of different directions here from that, but that was what I was thinking overall when I, when I watched this. Yeah, I will. I, just to complicate matters further, you were talking about the the way that succession often feels. It just made me want to to point out or, or recommend people check out an interview that Matt Zoller Sites did with Lorene Scafaria, uh, the oh, director yeah. who directed yeah, last yeah. week's episode, Too Much Birthday. She also directed Hustlers. Great interview on Vulture, uh, both on its own merits, but also for what it says about the way succession is made, one of which is that it's fucking made on film, which blew my mind. Like, that is... That is more luxurious than the, you know, the yacht that you can't put your bare toes on last season to me. Two was just the way that the, the visual language of the show, when you hear directors talk about it, it kind of, it, it, it makes you pay more attention to it. And she talks about like how the show, because of Adam McKay's direction of the pilot and then Mark Mylod's continuation of it, really masters the snap zoom where you find someone in space because they have two cameras going and it's moving around, it's handheld, it's kind of like the way Friday Night Lights was shot, mm-hmm. or The Office, and then it does the snap zooms to a degree that nothing has done since The Office, where you find Jim Halpert and he's looking at the camera, you know? Right. And that visual language, that peppy, zippy visual language, is the visual language, Friday Night Lights as an exception, for us, I think, of comedy, of workplace comedy. Yeah. Right? And um, what makes the show, there are many things that make the show unique, but I think fundamentally one of the things that makes it unique is that 
it is a reflection of its creator. It, there, he, he has an amazing team behind him. He has an amazing staff of writers. But these shows do tend to, folk, you know, the best ones do tend to be, at least on some level, a reflection of the person making them, their interests, their passions, their personalities at times. It does seem like Jesse Armstrong's twin pillars are zippy comedic savagery and absolute fucking gut surgery yeah. of emotion. And those are very interesting. And I think we said this before, I'll say it again, un-American almost, very British approach. They are both extremes. And the fact that they taste good together is wild. And all of this was built up to respond to your, to your point, which was this entire episode. Next episode might literally be there. This episode figuratively was in an operating theater. This was... Mm-hmm. An episode of surgery. <laughs> this is the not Nick. surgery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and not surgery like you see on TV shows. Not the Nick, where it's just like wheel them in, clamp that, wheel them out. Yeah, we were in there while they were getting different instruments and stuff was in people's bodies in a hopefully a metaphorical sense. You know what I mean? It was long and it was uncomfortable. And the and the thing I keep coming back to about the show, and I think I reached a similar point near the end of season two, where it's like how how can they keep how can he keep cutting and still hasn't fully hit bone how yeah. is there still meat and muscle and blood to get through you know and the shiv stuff in particular was surgical it was exacting it was devastating and it was i think i think you're right to 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 highlight her behavior at the end because it was in some ways not the final because there's more show to come but dropping of a mask that she that her last name is more important than her first name even though her first name has now become her preferred <laughs> verb for other women powerful women in the workplace i was gonna say like <laughs> do you know what i mean like she and we were talking about this offline like it's it's diabolical and i love it that the casual fans response to the roy kids like who you like, like everyone admires Kendall's, Jeremy Strong's performance. And, you know, when Kendall raps and everybody thinks Connor's funny, but like Shiv and Roman are the clubhouse favorites. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the performers, but a lot of it also has to do with the fact that, you know, because she was coming in from the outside and is the only woman in the room, I think some of us bleeding heart, liberal elite coastal types are like, well, she's going to be the one to save it. And this season is just like, she's kind of a hollow dipshit like she's really not good at this and Roman is like haha yeah the lols are real but so is the fascism (laughs) and it is taking advantage of our expectations for them anyway yeah the Shiv journey that's exactly who Roman is because it was like I think there was a a moment as Roman um, motorboats across Lake Geneva where you're kind of like is this show going to be about this guy now like, is this guy going to be, you know, basically the the person, the person who's like the the engine of all of the business acquisitions and is navigating the world of uh, right wing politics, you know, and 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 the internet, and then he can't help himself; he has to airdrop a dick pic, and you know, I think it's it's funny. It's like what's worse, airdropping the dick pic or his immediate abandonment of Jerry as a human being. <laughs> You know, afterwards. Uh, oh my god! But as also, soon as it becomes a compromising position for him, he's just like, "Ah, oh, fuck it, I don't care. Take the ticker away." Also, the way the show frames it: how can a savvy, competent, charismatic business leader be called into the detention hall with that look on his face? Mm-hmm. 
He looks like he's like a centipede on Adderall in that scene where he's just like writhing around while his father's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) There's just, they're just children. And there are moments in watching this show, and this is a good thing. It's like, you know, watching Kieran Culkin can kind of be like, you know, it's just like watching someone who's just a purely natural athlete. Like, I, I, you almost subconsciously diminish the craft mm-hmm. because you're like, that guy can just do that thing forever and I fucking love it. And then you see this episode and you're like, oh, yeah, he's a really good actor too. I know yeah. he always was, but like, oh, the fact that he can, by inhabiting so fully this character, treat his tics and behaviors like a dimmer switch, you know? That was masterful for him. And, yeah, and, and there, it affected us because we're just like, oh my God, what happened to him? I thought, I felt physically. In, in retrospect, now looking back on the course of the season, you know, I, I, I think that we've talked about how it's felt a little bit more episodic at times because you're bringing in Adrian Brody and Sana Lathan and, and, you know, characters are coming and going a little bit more mm-hmm. revolving doorish. And I think Kendall's absence from the season, it like the integral sort of plot lines of the season, he's just been kind of more on the outside looking in. But I actually quite liked Skarsgård in this episode. I, I wanted to shout yeah. that out because it would be easy for this show to write every one of those kind of people like Stewie, you know? Like yes. not everybody can do what Ari Moya did, does, but it would be easy to just be like, this is a dipshit, rich, funny, but like ultimately craven person. And the kind of weird, you know, possibly on the spectrum, but also like, you know, is like in this weird headspace where he's like, I need to fail and I need to like have the best mattress. And if I don't, I'm just going to sleep on the floor in this. It was, it's a really interesting character. I hope that's not the last we see of him. Yeah. I think that, it's an interesting way to show that Waystar is basically Jurassic Park, not mm-hmm. the global blockbuster franchise, but literally a bunch of dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, not that Lucas Madsen is savvier. It's that he's not even playing the same game. It's that, you know, he is, in Logan's memorable words, living his life, he's negotiating by eggplant. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's working for him. And as long as, you know, Waystar is run by, you know, the Tyrannosaurus Rex and his tiny, misshapen Tyrannosaur children, you know, who are like <laughs> born with only the tiny arms, not right. the jaws, um, it's not, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to work. You know what I mean? This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, Then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S, 
I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. We have to stay on ship for a minute just because um, <laughs> there is, people who listen to this podcast know that I have an aversion to like gore or like intense, gratuitous seeming violence. And or children in peril, or, yeah. Or children in peril, yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've ever two seen of my two or three so, favorite things is is <laughs> and and couples fighting on a beach. That's the other. That's the other that's thing you right. like. I also that's your that that's the big three. <laughs> um, I don't know. In all of my years of professional professionally covering this stuff, I have seen a scene as vicious and savage and children in peril. Yeah, as Shiv's mother saying, "I never wanted to be a mother. You've been a shitty daughter." I should have had dogs. Oh, that, that's that's what you were... I See, I thought you were talking about the Tom Shiv scene because speaking of children in peril, I could practically hear those embryos being like, you know what, guys? Don't bother. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> save, save on the therapy bills. Just don't have us. <laughs> Amy Coney Barrett watching this episode. No, okay. We'll stay away from that. Um, I, I, I want to get to that that scene, but... The Shiv... Yeah, the, the, the onion scene, we could call it. Between the onion Shiv, scene. Yeah. My only regret in that scene is, and this is so this is so out of character for the show. Isn't Caroline marrying someone named like Peter Grunyans? P- Peter, well, I can't tell because Roman keeps calling it. Yeah, different it was just things. weird. I'm like, it, that did feel like they named him that because it was funny, and then Jesse Armstrong wrote this beautiful metaphor. Yeah, you're my onion, yeah. And then, like, if he wasn't the showrunner of the show, the showrunner probably would have flagged that and been like, "We have an onion joke. Like, we can't do this. Find something else." But he's the showrunner, so he's like, "It's fine." I mean, it's 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 unspeakable savagery, and it's with the patina of you know old Tuscany, mm-hmm. like it's classy, you know. But it is so so devastating, and to anyone. But these children are so good at pretending things don't hurt them, and then acting out on other people. And in this case, yeah, they Shiv's self actualization as an asshole tour uh, plays its home stadium. Which is Wham's what do you Gans think it Arena. is that Shiv learns in that conversation, or what gets cleared up for her in that conversation with her mother that then sets her on the course that she follows? It for might the rest be the, the death episode. of hope. 
It might yeah. be the death of hope. You know, I think the thing that has doomed Kendall one way or another is that even in what may be his final conversation with his father is he's just like, I'll be broken when you die. I love you, but you're evil. Mm-hmm. What's running through that is having it both sidesism, having it both ways, hope. It's hope. And as long as you hold on hope, you are connected to someone. You are perpetually disappointed and resentful, but you are not at peace. Mm-hmm. Because hope and that being unhappy with hope is preferable to the uncertainty of being done and alone. Yeah. You know, and I and I don't know, I I don't know. There's a lot more, there's always more meat on these bones, as we're saying, but but it does seem to me like there is a moment when Shiv is like, oh. And then though, going into the Tom conversation, she does the next thing she says is, let's make a baby. And the reason she says that it is not figuratively. Let's <laughs> I, I think it should be more clear here because what she's doing is still reactive. Mm-hmm. She is not on a higher plane. She's basically like, okay. She's taking the wrong lessons. It's not, this is broken. It broke me, but it doesn't have to end me. It's, I'll, sh- I'll fucking show you. It's what she does to her father too, right? It's like, I'll show you. I'll have a baby and I'll love it and I'll be successful. Sure. And I'll stay in it, you know? And it, 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 she, she remains, um, she's pinballing. And- the Tom stuff, I mean, I don't know. We were talking about Kieran Culkin having a dimmer switch, right? <laughs> like, you know, do you remember in the 80s when, like, you watch music videos for a while and be like, you would just now know what an electric guitar looked like and an electric sure. guitar solo? And then do you remember when, like, in the Van Halen video, or maybe it was a David Lee Roth solo song, when when it was, was Steve Vai in that band? Or was Satriani, one of those guitar guy. I think it was Steve Vai. In, in like a in David Lee Roth, David Lee Roth video. Has a guitar that has two necks. Oh, yeah. It was like heart shape. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. you're like, I didn't know a guitar could do that. Sure. That's twice as much guitar. Yeah. That's how I feel about McFadden, which I, I believe I've been told is how you say his name. I'm sure I'm still wrong. That's how I feel about Matthew McFadden's performance as an actor. It's like just, I didn't think you could play more strings. I didn't think there were more strings for his just never ending car crash of an emotional internal life. And then yeah. we have these fucking scenes where she's like, you know, I don't love you. I love you. <laughs> what the fuck? It's incredible. And that's the one I think you were talking about where the camera stays on it and it keeps going. It's it, it's the what happens in Sex Vegas conversation that they have yeah. basically from their breakfast table along this canal. And you know, that quote unquote sex scene, <laughs> it turned me off of sex for a little while, I think, but that sex scene the night before where it's just like, what turns you on? Like what would just be the thing that really lights your fire? And her response is like to denigrate you. <laughs> and it's like to commit emotional S&M on you is like, it's fucked up. You know what I mean? It's like really, it's, that's the darkest shit. I, that's darker than Kendall dying. <laughs> It is. It's it Shiv Roy it, being it, like, you fucking piece of shit. And you know what it, she's saying in that scene? It's exactly what you were saying about Logan, which is like, you kick something and you only love it if it, you know, to see if it comes back. And she is kicking Tom because that's what is interesting to her is how often he'll come back no matter what she does to him. Also, it's, it's let's it's, have it's, a threesome. You're going to jail. All of these things, he won't go away. It's all of this also, though, is is an illustration or performance of love in the era of late stage capitalism. And the other thing this episode did so well was my God, fucking Howard Zinn just showed up. 
But, yeah, <laughs> he's been here. Let me pull this mask off. <laughs> Let me pull off this the genteel mask of a middle-aged Jewish man <laughs> with left leanings and reveal the the ravaged visage of a much older Jewish man with strong left leanings. <laughs> People are going to be shocked that, by this that, that is, in fact, the last Sondheim musical. That's what he was working on. <laughs> I think it may have been, but also about dinner parties. Yeah, right. Um, the most and maybe only successful romantic entanglement of succession through three seasons was Connor and Willa because it is <laughs> was purely transactional. Right. And they both got what they needed out of it, and they both seemed to kind of like it and like each other. And he fucked it up by trying to put love on it. Now, was he doing it for love reasons? No. No, no, it's all still totally corrupt and performative, but he tried to put it in a box. And in this case, not like a box from the movie Seven, but like one of the boxes that they have in the Swiss bank that Matt Damon goes to in the first Born movie when he's getting his identity, like the long steel money sure. box. The Some Swiss bank account safety deposit box. That, yeah. That's the box. And yeah. she flips out and thus... Love is once again romances founders on the rocks. Of, yeah, what is of, she like? What, like when he comes reality. and sees her at the breakfast table, and he's just like, Are, "What do you think?" And she's like, "I'm still thinking." And he's like, "Because it's the more you think, the less romantic it gets." <laughs> just that whole, Justine Lupe, like her performance, when she's just like, "Don't do this!" Like through the teeth. <laughs> what are you doing? Because she's like, "We can go back underground. Like we, I can go back to my regular life and like you know see you." transactionally on the side, you know. Like. And what's amazing is maybe Roman can't, but I'm trying to, th- I feel like most of the other characters actually are weirdly in touch with what they want, but society, circumstance, money, standing gets in the way of it, mm-hmm. right? Like like Shiv said her truth to Tom. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it was and it was beautiful. Willow is just like, yeah, that, this was fine either way. You know what I mean? But you get imprisoned by it. Um, even... Think about Greg's romantic life, which in the course of not even one episode, like 20 minutes of screen time, goes from achieving the unachievable to being like, you're right, this isn't good enough. This right. is what, that, that's capitalism, baby. Let me put yeah. my Howard mask back on. I'm going to trade up for a countess. <laughs> that's right. Even though he's got Comfrey, is is seemingly like completely. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, and I don't know how, she may have strained an Achilles getting up that high. You know what I mean? Like that was impressive. Let me take this to a place. This might not be as heavy as some of the conversations we've had so far, but I do think it's important. I need to talk to you, Chris, about who made the cut for the trip to Tuscany, (laughs) which is fascinating. And I would listen to a six-part narrative podcast about the decision-making. Obviously, one of the perks, and certainly more so in pre-COVID times, was of working on the show was you get to go to some nice places. Get to go to the Balkans. It's so some sometimes not as great, sometimes great. Um, no disrespect to the beautiful parts of the Balkans and the less beautiful parts because the world is a complicated place. Sure. Hashtag Howard's in. I what there were a couple surprising things here. So obviously the main cast goes. Now, there were some omissions that made sense story-wise, right? And also maybe health-wise, because the actors who play uh Frank and Carl are up there. Well, they also might did. not be like tight with Caroline. No, I'm saying, like, story-wise, it made sense for them not to be there. Also, just from behind the scenes, like, they could zoom into this episode, and maybe that's for the best, because they're in a higher-risk age group. Gotcha, yeah. That said, is Jerry tight with Caroline? (laughs) Yes. Maybe, maybe. It's essential that I invite my ex-husband, but also his longtime consigliere. 
Like, yes. that's vital to the making of this episode. And her husband, okay. Lori. <laughs> is that her husband? Or is that just some guy she knows? No, that's her husband. That was, yeah. That was her husband. That's Lori. Because she's got daughters, remember? Because Kat- Right, Roman's but I didn't like- know what her... Right. Okay. So that made sense. And again, but if the company, if Jerry's coming, is the company coming? So then I was like, Fisher Stevens maybe has a case to make that he got cheated out of a nice plate of pasta. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Especially- I, was just, I, w- I was mad. I was sad for Carolina, you know? Carolina... Love the performer, love the character. I think she's had three seasons to get used to the idea that they're like, you're in the main cast and we'll call you when we call you. You know what I mean? Like right. she, she, there is no, it's very Logan Roy, the way the show is run. Like even from the, the Valter guy who was main cast for the first two seasons and was that's, in three episodes total. That's right. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I am not in many ways, I am no Jesse Armstrong, but I feel like I would carry with me some guilt. I'm like, well, you're on the main cast and you're getting paid no matter what. I got to use you somehow. So I, you know what I mean? Party invite lists can really balloon quickly if you're not. Oh my God. And I feel that way about screen time, let alone when it's actually a wedding. So I think that he runs a tight ship. And yet there are a couple interesting things that that slip through here, right? So uh, Fisher Stevens, I think, has a grievance. Comfrey's come up. Unbelievable. Fascinating to me. Yeah. Is she? Kendall getting a plus one, but not bringing Naomi and bringing his. PR handler and she's immediately like I'm gonna go fuck off and go to the wedding now (laughs) because it worked on on two levels on a story level it's a little bit suspect because to your point she's not there as Greg's plus one she is there working with Kendall I think maybe maybe that's the answer they would give us that she's there as Greg's plus one but uh, she's you know on the clock still Mm -hmm. if she's there working for Kendall and Kendall isn't welcome. How come she's going to the parties? I'm he's his personal piazza is very nice. Yes. She could be there. I'm happy to see her. I'm, I am just asking the question. And then, yeah, like when the, the, you know, the line producer reached out to the actors, do you think Dasha from Red Scare was like, what now? (laughs) Okay. For one scene, you're flying me there. Like that is, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good acting gig. I would also ask you, Chris. Let me ask you this, man. What about that kid playing Iverson? This is my next. <laughs> that's where I was going. So that guy I got assume, so much screen time. I assume it's the same kids from the pilot. Maybe. I assume that they yeah. have some. I should have checked this. If so, what a whirlwind for these young maestros who do a pilot. Adam McKay, HBO, big deal. We're going to be a part of this show. I think are in the Thanksgiving episode and then are ghosts. And then it's like a running joke that they're ghosts for us and also yeah, for people on the show. They're like on FaceTime with the rabbit for like a minute. Yeah. And then their parents who have been navigating a nightmare pandemic year, homeschooling, Zoom, all this stuff, get a call and they're like, can young Sophie and young Iverson get on a, you know, did they fly them business? I don't know. Can they get on like the continental flight that goes from Newark to Paris. You know what I mean? Just to like eat some mozzarella. Changes to Charles de Gaulle. (laughs) I just hope that those actors have good representation where they're like, their parents and siblings get to go too because come the fuck on. Now, Can I just say really quickly, because you mentioned it, you can spend a ton of time writing or you could spend a ton of time watching TV and you'll be lucky if you come up with an idea as good as Logan makes Kendall's son taste the mozzarella yeah, first. I, I was, this is where I wanted to go to like that. 
And, and, you know, like when, when you read about succession, I think sometimes, you know, it's like the Shakespearean nature of it and the yes. King Lear is happening and you're like, yeah, it is. But it's also like this guy jerking off against a window and stuff. You know, it's like it, it's the high and low that makes it so amazing. But I was watching that scene and I was like, this is funny. This is like almost like Princess Bride where, you know, where they're changing, yep. you know, uh, wine glasses back and forth. And when it's like, when he is like, that one's my dad's and all the stuff about like, well, I'm eating healthier now. And Brian Cox does look and svelte. Um, Looks great. Yeah. When they're like passing stuff, the plates back and forth and he brings the kid out. I was just like, this is just like, this is like one of those, like the lightning strike yeah. moments of creativity is to make this poor child named after a Sixers legend <laughs> taste them. He's like, do you like mozzarella? He's like, not really. <laughs> We we joke about this before we started recording that Chris usually you and I like to come to these podcasts fresh and we may have yeah. I was worried that we broke the seal because we hung out yesterday and I don't like to I don't like to debut new material off mic you know what I mean right which me our friendship super normal it's it, we're super we're healthy. in our we're in our let it be Beatles phase so we we, do, we tend to like you know yeah, I show it, up an hour late <laughs> yeah look no Willa but we could go we could go underground again sure they take these mics away these podcasts away we could just we could just do this in an apartment somewhere but. It's incredible that we are following the same path here because that's the exact same thing that I wanted to, to, to point out, which is that we are always saying, oh, this show's a little Shakespearean or, you know, mm -hmm. but ha ha. And then Armstrong steers the yacht into, into old Will Shakespeare Cove and makes a meal out of it. Literally a potentially deadly meal out of it. It's it's just incredibly funny, clever, self-aware. It's, 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 it's totally alive. And the last bit of Jesse Armstrong praise I want to give for this episode is just as a fan of writing and as a fan of his writing, I just love that we have the show in our lives, even if it wasn't doing what it was doing dramatically or just in terms of entertainment, because there is, there aren't very many shows on TV that would allow the space for a writer of which there are also not very many of his caliber to, to, to say what life is mm -hmm. in the words of, of Logan Roy when he's just like, that's not what life is. It's a number on a piece of paper. It's a fight for a knife in the mud. TV as a construct, even in this post-golden age prestige whatever, takes your high-flying verbiage and your attempts towards soaring art and beats it down into the mud of plot mm -hmm. or execution or we don't have enough time to get the shot, or we have to hold the audience's hand or whatever. Like, there are, and maybe there's a reason why there aren't many examples of just going for it. You know what I mean? Of just Olivier at the National Theater, just like, let's eat this mozzarella ball whole, the way yeah. a snake eats an animal. And that's what this show gives us moments of. And I am not looking past it. Like, I don't want to take it for granted. Yeah, I, I'm not either. And I'm, I haven't, this is where you want to be when you get to the penultimate episode of a season where you're like, I don't want it to end, but I also have no idea where it's going and it could go in a hundred different directions. That guy could get right up out of the pool. You and I could be proven wrong or I could be proven wrong here. And uh, I can't wait to see where it goes. Your, your note on Jesse is a great place to end. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're in an interesting place ourselves, a little exposed because people who are listening to us could have, likely will have seen a next week on where there's probably a lot of worried glances and maybe an ambulance siren. I mean, they may indicate more than we know, but I actually feel good about where we, where we got yeah, just in terms we, of we what hedged. we've seen so far. We hedged. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Andy and I will be back on Thursday to discuss uh, other TV and pop culture. We are produced as always by Kaya McMullen. Thank you for listening to us. And we'll be back next Sunday night 
for our succession finale podcast and hopefully uh, in the near future grabbing some cool guests to come talk to us about this season of the show stay out of the pool Baranskis this episode is brought to you by State Farm you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong but these are the words you really need to remember like a good neighbor State Farm is there They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.